This is the Creative Agency Podcast, where we explore the strategies, aspirations, methods, and mistakes behind growing and maintaining a successful creative agency. Greetings, it is I, Chris Bolton, your favorite creative agency evangelist, or so I like to imagine. Not to be confused with other more nefarious Boltons, Roos, Ramsey, or the brutal and merciless Michael Bolton. Today we're going to talk about assembling project teams. What do I mean by this? Well, why hire employees who you are always responsible for when you can simply assemble a team of senior creatives and tackle a single project together? That's what Ink and Mortar does, and today we have Sharon McMullen of Ink and Mortar to tell us how she does it. Sharon is smart, informative, and she was a really great interview. I'm already considering implementing some of her advice at Murmur Creative, so you know it's really good. Uh, Be sure to stick around for her takeaways at the end of the show. Also, follow me on Twitter at Creative A-G-N-C-Y. And now let's get to the interview. All right, well, I'd like to welcome Sharon McMullen, owner of Ink and Mortar in Philadelphia. Welcome, Sharon. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. Um, So you founded Ink and Mortar in 2013. But before that, you were working with some pretty major brands, Anthropology, BHLDN, The Limited, and Terrain. Can you start out by talking a little bit about your past experience? Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm originally from Ohio. So I got my start in the retail world there. Um, The Limited brands are based in Columbus. So that's kind of where I started um, and got a job at The Limited, worked for Licenza, which is off of Victoria's Secret and um, Lane Bryant freelanced over there a little bit. And then I was able to kind of leverage that to get a job over here at Anthropology in Philadelphia. So that's what moved me out here. um, And I love. I fell in love with the city, so I stayed. But yeah, my background is really in retail and e-commerce and product design, and I just and that's really where it carried over into the studio. Um, you know, that's what we specialize in now and really focus on. So, um, and then yeah, I mean, what we did, I was on a lot of the web team, so we did some print collateral, but most of it was in e-commerce and dealing with the customers and their experiences online and really creating something unique for them. Um, So that's really where it spawned my interest in retail and how to create a new marketing experience for clients. And then that carried over into the studio. That's nice. Yeah. When you were working with those companies where you said e-commerce, are you doing sort of like user experience design or... Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky that it was a little bit of everything um, because I really got to experience, you know, this handmade side, especially at Anthro and Beholden and um, the Limited Terrain. We got the opportunity to use a lot of handmade elements like watercolor and type and created some really artful elements and then brought them to web, which also has really translated into our, you know, the beginning of our studio. Um, And so, you know, all of those things really affected um, the user experience. And so we would work in wireframes and in the structure of the site, and then we would make it beautiful on top of it. So it was always very purposeful, which I think was really one of the biggest lessons I took away that just because it's beautiful doesn't mean it doesn't function well. And that was the core of all of our design work there. Um, And so that really, again, everything has been very, you know, influential in how we run the studio and how it affects e-commerce. But yeah, it gets really nerdy sometimes, like all the stats (laughs) on drop down menus and (laughs) the way that you can work on a product page like that has become my life. And I, I really like it. That's where I nerd out. Oh, that's cool. So so what caused you to, to start your own agency? Oh, the lovely recession. <laughs> <laughs> um, I graduated. I'm, I'm kind of a young studio owner, um, and I left um, my jobs at 20. I think I was 27 or 28. I don't really remember uh, the exact day, but it was around my birthday, and, um, and it's about four years old now. So at the time, I didn't think I was old enough to own or do my own studio or my own thing. But because I graduated in 2007, 2008, I got laid off three different times. I was constantly Whoa. getting freelance and they would just keep me on for months and months and months saying, oh, the full-time job's coming, healthcare's coming. And I just realized how I was not taken care of in a corporate job, whereas that's supposed to be your foundation. And I realized that I was more protected to be independent and to really take care of myself. And so when I had gotten the job at Anthropology. 
and then moved to Beholden and then Terrain to try to find that perfect match, you know, of a company. Um, I just realized that like if those brands didn't work and that was my dream job and I still wasn't satisfied, then I really needed to take the leap. Um, and that that was kind of my moment of, all right, a little bit of naivete and a little bit of guts and <laughs> I'm going to do it. So, and it, it, it's really true. I mean, I not only have been more secure in this job, but I've made more money. I have better health care. I, you know, it's been a really good move. It's been really tough and really amazing, but <laughs> you know, it all it all kind of weighs out uh, in the scales. That's awesome. So, what was it like when you started out? Did you um, did you have clients? Did you have to go looking for clients? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much am one of those people that just works all the time. And so that's been one of my learning lessons of taking breaks. <laughs> so I had a lot of freelance on the side before I started. Um, and so what happened was, and I laugh now thinking like, and you know, I'm doing air quotes, the big client, I think it was like a $5,000 project. And I was like, I'm so rich. And <laughs> so I, I was doing a ton of freelance on the side, starting to build my clients. And again, I didn't at the time realize like, maybe I should make this leap. Um, and then this big project, you know, again, air quotes came along. And at the time I was living pretty minimally and I thought, geez, if I take this, I could do this. I could just take the leap. So that kind of was the the turning point where I said, oh, then I have more time to spend on finding new clients and working on other projects. And um, so that's when I decided. So I landed kind of a big project at the time and I had a lot of other freelance stuff going on. So I said, oh, I'm going to do this. That's great. Yeah, it sounds a lot like some of the uh, the other stories of how other agency owners have started out. You know, you just needed a little bit of a <laughs> leverage, you know? Yep. And again, that naivete, you just don't know what you're getting into. You just got to make <laughs> yeah. the leap sometimes and not really know. We always joke that like, if we would go back, would we still do it? And it's like, uh, I would probably would have stuck it out a little bit longer. <laughs> would have really enjoyed that healthcare <laughs> for a little bit longer. <laughs> but no, it all paid off in the long run. I'm really glad that I kind of, you know, took the leap. I, I don't think there's ever a good time. I mean, unless you're, you know, inherently rich and <laughs> there's always going to be a risk, you know? So I figured, Hey, I'm single. I don't have a, you know, kids or a husband or anything to worry about. I can live pretty, you know, cheaply. I might as well do it now. So that's what I did. Yeah. When I first came on to Murmur Creative and we're 11 people now, but I think we were, they were probably four or five before I came on and uh, just trying to figure things out. And mm -hmm. I had a baby on the way and we had no oh, idea if, yeah. uh, <laughs> yep. if, if the company would be able to uh, support me. So yeah, it was just sort of like, okay, we're going to do this and see what happens, yep. you know? Yep. And you just kind of have to drink a lot of wine and get through it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your wife, probably not so much, but you, you probably did. You, you drink double. <laughs> well, that's great. It paid off. Yeah. So your agency is a slightly different model than we've had on the podcast before. Um, mm -hmm. You basically assemble a team of creatives for each project. Um, can you explain a little bit how, how that works? Yeah, so the way our studio works is I work as creative director and owner um, and really the liaison. So I really oversee the project and work with the client directly, and then I build teams based on their needs. And the great part about this is that I'm able to build a team that's small and nimble um, to meet clients where they are right now. And then I'm also able to build big teams for big projects. Um, and they're all experts. So, um, you know, I think originally we had talked about them being freelancers and I don't view them as freelancers at all. They're very much like they own their own company. They have been doing this for many, many years and they're senior level or executive level people. So it leads for some great, you know, it leads to great projects and happy clients. Um, so, and that leaves me really nimble. You know, no one's in-house technically, yet we meet often and talk often and really collaborate. So I get great projects with great people and not a lot of overhead and not a lot of risk um, because really they're vetted and if it doesn't work out, they move on. Or if it does, then we keep working together. And it's been great. And my clients are really happy. I'm really happy. And it's been a really interesting model. I always thought that I would grow really fast. Um, I tried it. <laughs> um, our second year, I doubled in size and doubled in revenue. 
And I just found that I like didn't want to go to work in the morning. I was really unhappy. I felt like I was like, what was the purpose of working so much and just feeling like you're spinning your wheels? And I think, you know, year three was really where we started to position and really find the right clients rather than just saying they can afford us. So we'll take them or, you know, okay, this, this one's a little difficult. We were not going to do this one again. <laughs> and so, yep. you know, year three was, and you know, we're in almost year four now. So really honing in on the right people to partner with. And, you know, when people want cheap development, I say no. Like, I have been burned so many times by cheap developers. I'm not (laughs) doing it. I'm sorry, guys. Like, I want to deliver quality and great work. And so you have to find partners that do that. So that's why I think this model has worked really well for us and has continued to grow the business um, because we're able to get people who know what they're doing and that my clients like, and there's not a real risk of firing or, you know, it's just like, okay, that project was a little rougher. Let's not do that again. So it's, it's worked really well. I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's something that we, you know, it took us a while to learn as well as not to take on other people's development work. Yeah. It's it's kind of surprising almost because in most areas of business, like sure, you know, one company starts out a project and you can finish it. But like with development, it just turns into a nightmare. It does. It really does. I mean, I have so many stories. There was one girl when I first started out, I really thought I wanted to have a women owned business where I would only work with women partners. And now I realize that that was a great motto, but it like everybody does great work and I shouldn't, you know, just hire women because of that. I thought it was going to be a lot more women-based businesses. And so I worked with this developer and we had a lot of bumps and I just kept thinking, nope, like this is the philosophy. Like we're going to have this women-owned business and we're going to partner all the time. And she got pregnant and in one of the middle of our development project, she got vertigo and said, we had a launch in four days. And she said, and this was like a big launch for my client. Like her revenue was based on launches um, for her, her like, you know, sales team or whatever. And so mm-hmm. my developer said at the time goes, well, I have vertigo. I can't even look at a screen. I'll talk to you guys in a few days. And we were like, what? So she didn't offer to get us a person to cover for us. She didn't offer to help. She just said, I don't know. I'm going to deal with it later. And that's when I realized I needed to really vet the people. And this was our third project together. So I just never thought it would happen. Um, But that was unacceptable to me. So, so that was just like, no, So my client was upset. I got in trouble. Like it was just awful. I felt terrible because here I am vetting this girl and she totally bailed on us. And um, so she wound up coming in. It was like three days of terror of trying to find someone to fill that spot. So you do run into those, you know, that's why I've vetted the people that I work with now, because I do, I got to deliver quality to my clients. And if I don't, then you're out, you know, (laughs) like you're not, you're not going to have the relationship that we want because there's just no room for that. So, so that's one of my little horror stories when I first started (laughs) of learning and like also vetting your, your vendors, you know, it's really difficult to, to know if someone's going to deliver or not until they fail or, you know, until you get to know them better. So yeah, all the fun, the fun of beginning a business. (laughs) (laughs) Again, that naivete. (laughs) Right. Um, So how many people are on a given project usually? It ranges. So the smaller projects are, I mean, I have very few where it's just me. Um, Normally it's me and then um, my development firm, one of the guys that I work with directly. And then from there, it's um, up to eight people. So we're actually working on a bakery redesign now and we have photographer, SEO, development, copywriter, myself, like there's a ton of people involved. So it can be a lot to handle. And um, that is something that I build into costs and make sure that I cover is I do wind up doing a lot of management, but it also keeps everything smooth and it keeps everything running. And you get the quality that you want when you kind of oversee everyone. But again, it's not that much overseeing because they're senior level. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you really are just kind of checking in every once in a while to make sure everything's good. Um, so that is really nice. It's not like babysitting. <laughs> so, gotcha. <laughs> we've been there too. I can tell. I can tell by your tone. <laughs> we've been there. <laughs> are your team members always in the same city, town with you, or are some no. of them remote? Nope, they're all over the place. So we have social media in California. We're based in Philadelphia. Um, we have a few, most of our people are in Philly just from networking and getting to know people. And, you know, my developer, I love working with him and he's local. Um, and so we'll just meet up and be able to hash stuff out. 
Um, the SEO he is here. We have a copywriter in New York who's amazing. Um, so, and then we'll find photographers also where our clients are based. So, for instance, the uh, bakery in um, South Carolina, we found a local photographer that fit her needs and who would work with her directly so that I didn't have to fly in for every shoot. Um, so that helps a lot. So really it's about vetting and finding the right people for each of the teams, which again, leaves me to be nimble that I don't have to fly a photographer to South Carolina for a photo shoot. We can find a good fit there for her. Um, so that's cost effective and gets her the right partner. And how are your are a lot of your clients based locally, or are they all over the place? Nope, they're all over the place too. Mm-hmm. So I have I have a few. Apparently, North Carolina and South Carolina really like us because we have quite a few from there. It's really funny. Like <laughs> randomly, they found us. Um, a few in New York, um, one in Texas, one in California, um, and then we've had people from Canada. We've had clients from um, I think it was New Zealand. Um, it was wow. one of, yeah. So, I mean, there's just all kinds of a range. It's really fun when you get the time change. That's really, that's a lot. Oh yeah. There was a, there was a Chinese, um, partnership and one of the guys was in China and one of the guys was in Philly. And that was really difficult. Cause it was like an insane time difference. And we were like, it was like 9 PM and it was their morning and I'm like, hello. Okay. Let's go through the wireframes. Oh <laughs> so gosh. I know. So it's, it's been a, you know, fun challenge to, to work with people all over. So and then recently, we're really making it a priority to meet them because before we were, you know, it wasn't built into budgets to go visit and stuff. But now we just realize the importance of it. So we built it in at least like three visits or more um, to really do presentations, meet in person, build those relationships. And that was a big learning curve for me because I was like, what's the big deal? We're they're paying checks. We're doing great work. But like building that relationship is really important. And I realize how far that goes. I'm, I am actually sort of personally curious how you sort of build the travel budget in because we've done a little bit of traveling but not a whole not a whole lot and when we mm -hmm. do pitch for out-of-town clients we always sort of go back and forth about how to like include that in the budget yeah I mean for me I build it into the cost so I I build it in as like it's not an additional line item it's like mm -hmm. you're paying for the branding, it's value-based pricing, and the value of me meeting you is going to be really value. Like we're going to get a lot done, we're going to be closer, we're going to figure out more, we're going to brainstorm because a lot of times in person you just get so much more value. Um, and so, yeah, I just build it in so it's it's not a different line item. It literally is okay. just... I build in an extra thousand dollars usually covers quite a lot, um, nowadays mm -hmm. <laughs> or more. <Yeah. laughs> um, and so it, and it just depends on the client because we work through it. If I view this as a long-term relationship, I'll, I'll comp one or for instance, um, so one of my, my family just moved. I say just moved. I feel like it was yesterday. I think it's been two years now, <laughs> but they live in North Carolina. So my client will offer to fly me down and then I get, get to visit my family. So I give her a discount because she's paying for me to visit my family for a week. So, and I then do a photo shoot for her. So we kind of, you know, build relationships where it's just a tug and pull and it works really well and we kind of help each other out. So, yeah. So I don't like doing a line item because usually they'll be like, we don't really need that. And I'm like, well, you do. It really makes a difference. So when it's built into the full price, I don't know. That's been my experience so far. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it probably works works better than being like, oh, and you have to cover my hotel cost. Right, <laughs> right. There's something about that that feels icky when you're like, I see that as a line item. But at the same time, you know, many people do that. And it's it's totally fine. But I found that my clients are still very price conscious. You know, they're medium sized businesses, they're still trying to grow. Um, so they're pretty conscious um, price wise. But when you build it into the value of the, you know, identity that we're doing or the photo shoot, I mean, it becomes invaluable. So that few hundred dollars to cover a flight is very minimal in comparison to what we get out of it. So usually they're like, yep, good. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> that's great. That's that's very useful. So far. Advice. Yeah. I feel like I'm giving <laughs> advice, but like I'm still learning as well. So <laughs> I might come back next year and be like, oh, that was a bad decision. No, <laughs> still in the learning curve over here, too. <laughs> um. So with the, you know, the sort of remote workers and stuff, have you ever sold a project based on, you know, having five members of the team working on it and then realized that, you know, one person couldn't do it? Is it, is it easy for you to fill those holes? Do you have enough connections? Yeah, I mean, we start the project looping everyone in in the beginning 
So, um, you know, a lot of times with some of the parts of the project, we don't know what the pricing is going to be because we need to do discovery and design up front. Um, say, for instance, development, we'll give a range and I'll check with my development partner and see what his schedule's like, see, make sure he's available. Um, and he's so sweet. I mean, we've really created a relationship where he's really available for what I need, which is so fantastic to have. So, no, we haven't had an issue of like someone not being available because we loop them in in the beginning. Um, and our clients aware that like they're also billing separate and they have a diff- different contract. And that way the client is protected, I'm protected, and we get the best work because I'm not in the middle of the money war. You know, like I'm not in like the pricing bid out or anything. I'm just a part of getting the work done and getting the creativity flowing. And so my clients really like that part um, from what I've, I've gathered from them um, in the feedback. So yeah, so that that does help. So you're saying that the your client actually has a separate contract with your contractors? Yes, yes. And I the reason is because I've gotten burned. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I had a really bad project where I had a contract with the developer through myself, and I used to get the funds from the client, and then they would funnel through me, and then I would pay the developer. And uh, my contract covered all of the design, but it did not cover development. And so... Our client out of nowhere, I mean, had a year and a half relationship with them. It was a wonderful relationship, did photo shoots and a full rebrand. It was a really great relationship. And out of nowhere, it went to development and they said, wait a second, this looks different than what we thought. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And this is before like Envision or any of those great programs to like view web pages. They were viewing the JPEGs on their iPad. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, this has been six months of us working on this site, and we've been going through them in person. Like, I mean, it didn't make any sense where this was coming from. And I honestly think they had like a panic attack of like their business had to be real now. And I think that it was a tough spot for them. So they took the money back from PayPal, and I was under like contract with my developer. So I had to pay that out of pocket for the developer. And at the time that was multiple thousands of dollars that I didn't have. And they just disappeared. They said, we're taking the art and we're going, I had been paid all my money. So it was, I couldn't say anything, but I was under contract with the developer and the developer was like, what? Like they just took that out of my bank account. Another reason not to work with PayPal because you can't prove about a service-based industry. So like we couldn't prove because it was service and not a product that we had delivered what we said we would. Um, So I got burned really bad um, and didn't know what to do. And then I had spoken to a few different experts and they said, when you're working in a system like this, it's best to have the client protected and you protected by working with them separately. And that way money is not funneling in and out of my business. And my clients actually feel better about it because they're able to really get the best from each person. And again, I'm not in the money bidding issues. (laughs) They are able to just work directly, get that project done. I can come in and work with the creativity part and it works really well all around and I'm not liable. And that that helps a lot. And they feel more protected with their contracts because they're specialized to what they offer. Um, So that's worked really well for us. After that burn, I, I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I started doing a lot of research on how to get away from that. That makes a lot of sense. We've sort of, because we don't get super technical in our web development, we have um, a couple of uh, other agencies that I don't know if we've actually passed off work or not, but usually we we bring them in to, to meet with a client. And uh, our thought is always like, you guys work it out amongst yourselves. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> It, it is. And you never want to be in the middle of like, well, can we drop it like $50 or can we, how about a few hundred dollars less or less work? Like they can handle that because it's, it's still a part of the project and I'm involved a little bit in it and I'll help a little bit, but like overall, it's really about what the client wants and just another deliverable. Um, so, but in the, you know, initial meeting with our clients, we do give ranges. So I am familiar enough with what things will cost. So we'll talk about SEO upfront. We'll talk about, um, development costs and giving estimates and giving a pretty wide range because again, in design, you discover a lot, like great ideas happen or, they get simplified or, you know, you really cannot judge from the beginning of a project really what you're going to offer. In my experience so far, you know, that's been super helpful to have a little bit of an adjustment. Um, And so far that's worked really well. 
have you ever considered having um, full-time employees or would you like to have any full-time employees? I actually did have one. Um, so the second year, uh, I like I said, I doubled in size and, and revenue and I hired a junior designer. And that was when I realized I needed strategic partners. And um, we, I just felt like it was a production house. I felt like I was constantly in need of, you know, producing work and getting stuff in and just handing it off. And that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted bigger projects that were deeper of, you know, bigger value to my clients and to myself and would really stretch, you know, my experience. And that wasn't what was happening. So she, you know, at the the time we were learning so much about how to run this business. And so she wound up actually leaving for a pharmaceutical job. That's big in Philly. Pharma jobs are big here and they pay (laughs) really well. (laughs) So I was like, girl, you take it, you get that health insurance and you go. (laughs) And so she, she left at a good time because, you know, I just started to really question what I was doing with my business. Um, you know, I think when I first started out, I was like, more money, more clients, grow, grow, grow. And then I realized, oh, there is a whole lifetime of being happy with what you do every day. And that's really where near three hit. And I was like, we, we, need, we need to pivot. We need to position. We need to find the right clients because I was getting ulcers from my pain in the butt clients. And <laughs> I said, I don't want to live this way. Um, so from that, I really learned, you know, having a, an employee was amazing. It's a whole different responsibility for your business. It's it's totally different. So with strategic partners, I'm able to get the best of working with people, you know, what I enjoy the most. It's not management, you know, it's really getting to the nitty gritty of great projects and great people. And, um, but I do hope to hire again one day. I'm just not ready. Yeah. <laughs> I really am enjoying <laughs> what I have right now and the nimbleness of the studio and I can take time off. I just got married actually, um, two months ago. So like I was able to take a lot of time off. Thanks. I made it. (laughs) Um, So, you know, there's a lot of flexibility that comes from this business and I, I'm enjoying that. And I, I think that year two, I had to get to that point of hiring and realizing this isn't the right hire. This isn't what I wanted. Um, So I think the next move would be to hire a senior person, you know, or to merge with my development firm or to find another strategic partner that wants to kind of become a bigger studio. Because I really think, I can't hire younger. I can't, I need that caliber of people to really deliver the work. And I think that next time I'll look for someone a little bit older and a little bit more of an entrepreneurial spirit, spirit, you know, like somebody that's yeah. really like a type A. <laughs> they, they work all the time and they love what they do. It's just, it's hard. We're a strange breed. <laughs> yeah. Don't put too many of us in a room together. That's for sure. <laughs> what, what does an average project usually cost for you? Oh, the price question. Oh, how juicy. <laughs> no, I mean, I always joke with my clients because they're like, we don't have a budget. And I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> so I usually say like, it could be 5,000 or 500,000. But I, you know, our big thing is taking, you know, our minimums are like $10,000, which is, I realize small for a lot of people. Um, but we're still, you know, a boutique studio and still growing. Um, and then, you know, some projects are smaller and 5,000 and some are bigger and 50,000. So it really depends on, say, for instance, we did the Cora um, packaging project. And so it was a full rebrand, full packaging project with like eight different pieces plus. And then there was the website with a new e-commerce experience. I mean, that was a giant project. So that was clearly more than everything else. So, but then we have this wonderful, you know, studio that's in, um, or this shop in Chestnut Hill that we rebranded and that was a lot less, but it was so fun. And it was, you know, the people, I just love working with them and we created something really beautiful and really quickly, like it just all fell into place. So it was less expensive. So yeah, I think it's kind of a range, you know, but yeah, the goal is really to not do anything less than 10,000 now because we took a lot of small projects in the beginning and it was really tough. It was really tough to manage all those projects. I think at one time I had like 16 going and I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like I can't, this is, this can't be right. Like that's when I really started on all the business books and all the, you know, really diving into what it meant to run a studio rather than being a freelancer. So that's really when it started to change. Yeah, I know. We're we're pretty much in the same situation. I think that we 
try not to take anything for less than ten thousand dollars and um our uh, our websites like we just sort of decided that they've that 20 is sort of the the low yeah. the low end because you build in design and then you have to do development that's 10 and 10 and 10 is cheap for development you know like that's yeah it's it's tough it's really tough to tell people that you know because they think websites now are two thousand dollars and you're like uh, what <laughs> Like, do you know know how many hours go into that? What am I making a dollar an hour? Are you kidding? So it's tough. It's tough. A lot of people, a lot of people call on the phone and they hear that number and they're like, holy crud. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It's really funny. I didn't think that would happen. I really, but I think we're, we're in it. So we realize what goes into it. And the moment we start to explain to people, wow, there's a lot of parts to this. You're like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) I had um, a client who did that for packaging. I think I had quoted like, I mean, she had a ton to redo. And I think I quoted like $10,000 and she was like, whoa, that's so much money. And then she's like, well, I think I'm just going to do a small, like you set it up for me and I'll do the rest. And she came back and was like, I now know why you charge (laughs) $10,000 because she realized (laughs) in the midst of it, she goes, I've been on the phone with this packaging company for days. I'm like, yep, welcome to my world. (laughs) It's like, that's what, you know, they don't know until they get into it. And then they're like bowing down because they're like, oh my gosh, you deal with so many headaches. (laughs) So it's, um, it's just about educating them as best you can. Definitely. So do you have an hourly rate? No, uh, we go on value-based pricing. So um, I've read a ton about this. I'm actually reading um, value-based pricing, which is probably the nerdiest title for a book ever. I brought it to the beach and my husband made fun of me because it was like, it has this like star running across the front of the book. It looks like a science book. (laughs) It's like value-based pricing. Have you read the book? No. It's really, really good. Um, I was turned on to it from uh, Dan Mall and um, Jason Blummer had uh, recommended it. They had them on one of their pod, uh, the author on one of their podcasts. And so I read it and it's fantastic. And it just talks about how much you're bringing to the table for your clients. And the difference between hourly and um, being value-based pricing is is much more than just you making your money. It's about you know, bringing that value to your client and trying to explain that to them. So I was originally hourly and would base our projects off of that. And then now I've changed value-based pricing and my clients are way happier because they know it's a flat fee for this many rounds and these deliverables. And sometimes we go over what I estimate, but most of the times it's right on the dot. You know, you give and take when it's a project um, and it's really changed everything. It takes me, oh, managing hours is just, is a pain. <laughs> I get, yeah. I'm like, what did I do today? Like, I could never remember. <laughs> and it was always like, you never think you spend as much time as you did. So then you were like, I only made $200 on that. Are you kidding me? I spent like my blood, sweat and tears on it. Like I must've missed something. So I just found that it became, you know, I think one of the quotes in the book was like 20% of our time is spent time tracking if we actually do it. And that is a huge waste in this grand scheme of things. Like if you realize the revenue of your business is 20% is going to time tracking, like that's a huge (laughs) amount of money. And so I tried it and it's been really, really beneficial. I really recommend it for everybody. (laughs) Uh, So with value-based pricing, are you looking at the revenue of the business you're engaging and sort of figuring it out that way? Yeah, I mean, they always started about the same place. Um, but I think that I'm now able to kind of adjust it based on the value. So for instance, if a Fortune 500 company were to come to us, the value that we bring is going to be a lot greater and there's a lot more risk. And so it needs to be priced a little bit more. Whereas if there's a small boutique opportunity that's going to add creativity, I can kind of lower those prices a little bit based on what it can do for us and it can do for them. Um, And so, you know, that gives me a little bit of leverage. But again, it's still new. It's still something that I've implemented within the last two years. So it's a little bit um, of a, you know, kind of playing with the numbers and figuring out right. what works best. And it's also a little bit of winging it. Like, okay, do we feel good about this? And you're like, because I think after you do it so much, you're you're like, oh, I know 2000 is way too low for that. Or I know 10,000 is not going to cover it. You know, so I think there's a gut feeling too when it comes to pricing after a while. Definitely, definitely. 
Um, so you're not actually asking people what their like yearly income is. You're just sort of like, I know this company is probably. Uh, oh yeah, no, no, that would probably be really bad. They'd be like, you're adjusting it based on our based on our revenue. I'm like, well, secretly, yes. No, <laughs> they. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really just about the the value and the what it's going to bring to the studio, and then what it's going to bring to them. So, like I said, like a big company is going to have a bigger budget, but we have more liabilities. We have to be on top of it more. There's going to be more energy, more people involved. Um, so usually that will cost more just because it could be the same project, but it's going to be more work because of right. their, you know, caliber. Whereas working with one-on-one -on -one person who has a, you know, boutique in Chestnut Hill is going to be a little bit easier and a little bit smoother and I can go visit them. And so that's going to cost a little less, but still the value is there. So, um, so that's kind of how we're basing it now. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, that's kind of similar to, to how we do it too. You know, the bigger the company, the the more work it's going to be, the more stakeholders that are involved, the more right. meetings that are going to more happen. More cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about branding. Um, you have on your website, so you have three main sort of service areas, brand clarity, brand identity, and brand engagement. Um, can you describe um, what these are for you, your business? Sure. So, you know, this was a new trial for me um, to kind of clarify what we offer. Um, we were getting a lot of questions of like how we can help people now and in the future. And so we came up with these three kind of pillars, brand clarity, meaning the discovery phase, really getting to the nitty gritty of what your brand is, the discovery, the inspiration boards. Um, brand identity means just applying visuals to it. So bringing in that clarity of like, okay, we've done the discovery. Now, how do we implement it? How do we grow that beyond just a logo? And then brand engagement is building that brand identity into other things. So marketing, SEO, it's kind of that next level phase three stuff that we build. Um, so this is a new try, you know, trial for us. I'm giving it a shot and seeing how my clients like react to it. Um, we may go back to doing things like, we're learning the vocabulary of what people want to call it. I think that's really the the key on your website is like figuring out what people want to hear. <laughs> and that's, yeah. so this was our way of like bucketing them, but now people are asking more questions and they want it simplified. So it's like, I don't know if we're going to go back or if we, you know, I really liked these. I really liked the principles, but at the same time, sometimes people just want to see that you do brand identity and they don't want all these like, you know, sub bullets of the opportunities. So I think it's, a, we may change this. I don't know. We're trying it out. What do you think? <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. Liked it. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> and I might take out the brand. We're going to play with it. But um, yeah, I worked with a copyright, one of our copywriters. She's amazing um, to talk through it a little bit. So um, I think it's it's good to tell people there's three phases. Um, I think a lot of people are like, you just make the brand identity or the packaging. And you're like, oh, no, because it, it has to interact. It has to have a foundation, then grow and then interact with people. So there's really mm -hmm. three. So. Yeah, I think that I mean, that's something I think that we could probably do a little bit better. I think that we're sort of used to selling things kind of a la carte. And yeah. um, it is, you know, when it comes down to it, like all the work we end up doing with a client is a lot bigger and the value is a lot greater than yes. just the all the little things we're doing, you know, totally. that's kind of one way of, of putting it in context and, and being like, we're taking you on a journey. <laughs> yeah. And I think that a lot of times you get into the project and then they're like, Oh, you can do that. Let's do that next. And I think they are still trying to figure out what you offer because design and development are really hard because you can offer a lot of things, um, as a studio and as an agency. So, trying to communicate that with them without being like, we're a full service, we can do it all. Like that's, you know, the knife or the dagger right there to say you can yeah. do it all um, and not be good at any of them. So, you know, it's it's about saying, well, these are all related, but we can still help you um, in a professional and expert way um, to be able to follow through with all of them. So yeah, well, I'm glad you approved because that was something we've been toying with. And, you know, we've been getting good feedback, but it's always interesting to see what people say about it. Like, do I just list out we do SEO? I feel like that's a little lame. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so it's all about <laughs> trial and error. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the last agency that I, I interviewed, um, Top Hat IMC, have kind of a similar um, sort of storytelling way of talking about the process from branding to, to website and marketing. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I can't remember exactly how they put it, but listeners can to go check back that to out. the previous episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about romancing what you do. That's what we really do for a living. <laughs> We romance it because they're like, I have no, it's magic. 
So you actually teach branding classes. I noticed you got a Best Affiliate Award um, for those classes. How did how did that come about? Yeah, that was a huge surprise. Uh, I thought I was being interviewed for an article for Philly Mag um, for you know like a continuing education for fall for adults um, and like building you know classes and stuff. And then it came out in August and it was an award. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. So I just <laughs> never thought we could be nominated for that. So Best of Philly is a really big deal here because you get a category and there's limited categories per year. Um, and then they'll find the best things in Philly at the time. So design agencies are not on the list. They do everything from service-based to like commodity type stuff, best cheese to steak, of course, because we're Philly, um, or, you know, best sandwich, like that kind of stuff or best hairdresser, best event planner, but they don't ever have design related things. So it was a total surprise that they picked up on these classes. Um, and it was a huge honor. I mean, I seriously like cried when I got it. I was like, Oh, I made it. You know? <laughs> and then the next day you're like, okay, I got to pay my bills. <laughs> so, um, the reality hit, but no, it's, it was great. So last year we ran them as really a marketing and kind of, you know, reach out to the community and meet people and help businesses that aren't ready to, or able to hire designers and other experts get a lot of education before they needed to, so that at least they were well-versed in picking the right people. So the branding classes, we did a few. So there's Build a Brilliant Brand, which talks through our um, we have a discovery process, which includes this funneling of inspiration boards. And it's really about honing in on a Pinterest board and creating your own and trying out a lot of stuff up front. And so it's a process that we've developed, gosh, since I start, since like I graduated. So it's been about eight or 10 years of, of really honing in on this process for my clients. Um, and so we teach that briefly to our, our, you know, students and then where they can go to find fonts. And we teach the kiss method, the keep it simple, stupid method. <laughs> I said, because you can just, we're in a world of Pinterest and we're in a world of like overwhelm. And half the time they just want to hear, you can pick one font. It's okay. Like there's a bold and an italic and like, don't get overwhelmed. Um, cause I think that's what stops a lot of people from understanding what we do is they just get overwhelmed. Um, so we teach that and then we talk about stock photography ways to get them to a better place and to build their business so then they can hire experts um, and then we have seo we have handmade to digital which is a class i teach on building your handmade elements and then bringing them online or reprinting them so vectorizing your art and on photoshop creating transparent backgrounds and things and then we had um, digital photography 101 so it's really just building those classes out to help people understand what they need to do to build a business and then really growing that awareness of, you know, we're trying to help people grow. Like that's, we just really want to make you money. Like, and then you can come to us and we can make some magic. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, it was really just something I tried and, and then when it got great feedback and it led to new clients, it led, I mean, it was profitable, like right away, it was the very little overhead and, you know, it's a night of your work and you enjoy it. You get a lot of feedback from people and people are just so impressed by what you do and you just feel like so grateful. I think it just re-energized me last year. Um, and so we're running them again this year and it's been, you know, really rewarding. So hopefully it'll grow. That's awesome. Yeah, That's it was a little surprise. I kind of just do stuff sometimes and like just see how it goes. <laughs> some of it fails, some of it doesn't. And this one like happened to do well. So I was like, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> Let's put it in the win column. <laughs> That's great. And you said it has led to some new clients? Yeah, yeah. Or what's even funnier is like it's people that take the classes but then have friends who are at that next level who want to hire someone. And they're like, mm -hmm. I took this amazing branding class and so-and-so, you should check out her for SEO and you should check out them. The, they have all these great people that can work with you. So yeah, it's led to actually some pretty good business. Um, I mean, not bigger, not like $50,000 projects, but I mean, we've hit some $10,000 projects, which is fantastic. And those businesses grow. So it's been wonderful. Nice. Yeah. I mean, for the cost of a projector and like <laughs> we made some really cool letterpress books. So like I got one of those uh, machines to make the spiral. That was an adventure trying to go back and make little binding, <laughs> make binders myself. That was interesting. Of course, I can't just do it simple. It has to be like letterpress covers. So right. Um, right. But, you know, for the cost of that and the publicity, it was it was so worth it. So it's been really fun. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about tools. Um, what what software tools do you use to to manage your business? Uh, Dropbox is my lover. I would marry mm -hmm. it if it were a man. 
Um, <laughs> and I love it to death. It's really my saving grace when it comes to syncing files and being able to share stuff. Everything's on Dropbox, all backed up. It's amazing. Um, and then I use Google Calendar and Google Docs for all of my management for clients. Um, so shared docs for copy, calendars. I have a running kind of What's what's the Google Excel called? I always forget what it's called. Sheets. Yeah, sheets. So I have a sheet with all the. I just still call it Excel. That's <laughs> that's when you know you've uh, you just don't care anymore. You're like ah, the Excel <laughs> file I have. It manages all my clients and where I am at in each of the projects and who I need to check in with and stuff. I have tried every project management software and I hate it all. I have tried it. <laughs> I can't find a good one that I like the way that I work. Um, so I've always joked that I'll probably build one one day or just wait till somebody else does it for me. I don't have time for that. Yeah. But uh, for now, it works well for one person or two people um, and the freelancers and people that I work with, the partners. So um, so that's been wonderful. Uh, and then and it's free, <laughs> which is great. Or $5 a month for Google, <laughs> for Gmail. Right, right. Um, QuickBooks is amazing. My I liked FreshBooks better, but my accountant made me change. So <laughs> he joked that the only reason I wanted to stay was the pretty graphs. And I'm like, yeah, isn't that good enough reason to stay with FreshBooks? He's like, no. How about <laughs> getting money back on your taxes? That's why you should change. So, so QuickBooks and then Envision is a lifesaver. I told you the horror story of my client looking at on the iPad iPad for the final approval. So um, Envision is amazing. It's mock-ups and uh, you can set up a website, almost like a mock website, and people can leave comments and feedback and you can set buttons on there. That thing has saved my life. It is so worth the money every month for what I get out of it. Um, And it keeps all the rounds of revisions for my clients so we can just send links back and forth and they know where we landed last. They can comment and reply. It's fantastic. I swear by it. Or we just started experimenting with Envision um, recently. So it's amazing. My clients love it because they're like, we can get it now. (laughs) I kept having (laughs) issues with people not knowing when they were zoomed in enough on these JPEGs or Mm -hmm. like, you know, they'd be like, well, what size is it going to be? And I'm like, at 100%. And they'd be like, oh, when do you know you're at that? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So you forget what comes naturally to you. Um, And I like that it's all in one place. You know, it's not... They're not reviewing 10 JPEGs. They're reviewing one site as a whole, and they're seeing how it'll function. So it's really, I swear by it. I love that place. <laughs> I love that uh, that app. Yeah, I think we usually present in PDF format for web stuff. But yeah, we just started doing the, uh, started doing, we did the Envision for our first client, and uh, they seem to really respond well to it. You just have to tell them that it's not an actual website because right. they see you click on it, and they're like, <laughs> I get that oh. too. Yeah, yeah. They're like, why doesn't this button work? I'm like, because this would take 10 days for me to like link all these buttons, but half the buttons work. Um, So when you're presenting in PDFs, I'm curious about that. Do you have the same problems of like people, you know, zooming in and out or um, having issues like knowing what they're looking at? Or do you you make like one PDF of all the layouts? Is that kind of how it works? We do one PDF of all the layouts. And then we usually scroll through them for the client when we're presenting. Ah, and is it at full size? So is it like, you know, at 100% of what they'll view it as a, a window or a browser? Um, yeah, I mean, we usually end like in the office, we have a TV screen that we show it on. So it's not totally representative. Gotcha. Um, as what it might be on a laptop or a computer screen or whatever. But um, yeah, we just kind of go full screen and just scroll through it. Gotcha. Yeah, we had a lot of issues with that. And people not understanding what the real final size would be on things. Like they would be like, oh, I thought these would be bigger and I thought these buttons would be smaller. And I, and you're like, well, you've been viewing it for, you know, two weeks now or something. So, <laughs> um, so that's why I do like Envision because it's like 100%. This is what we're handing over. So it'll look like that. Um, but it is really nice to, to have it in one document like that. That's great. Yeah. And now if we could just find a way to demonstrate the uh, responsiveness. Oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> I don't deal with that a lot. I just, I mean, all of our sites are responsive, but it's such a headache to try to explain how things are going to function without it being live. And that's a whole other day. Yeah. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> whole other topic. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we've come to that part of the show where I asked for three takeaways. Um, what advice would you give to a creative who is working on growing their agency? I thought a lot about this because I have a lot of lessons. (laughs) Don't do what I did. No. Um, I would say my biggest one that I'm learning now is, you know, niche now. 
because we of all times are in a majorly competitive market right now. And it's really hard to stand out. And I'm realizing that to get the right clients and to get the purposeful, you know, meaningful relationships that you want to build, you need to specialize. You need to be good at something. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you have to turn down other work. It actually opens up the doors for a lot of other stuff. And so that has been a big learning curve in the last year for me. And it takes a long time to do it. Like it's not an overnight thing. It's two to three years of you plugging away at one, you know, path and then getting the rewards later on. So I would say the sooner you can do it, the better. And it it's okay to change. It's better to just pick something and move on it because I always thought a long time ago I would be like a letterpress person and do stationery. And I did it and I hated it. And then I went into, I was like, all right, now I'm only going to work with women-owned businesses that are creative and they're small. And that was terrible. And then like you go to the next one and, you know, there's just a lot going on in the world right now and people don't value design as much. And you have to really battle sometimes to find your way out. Um, And I think that the more special you are, the easier it gets. So I, number one thing I would take away is niche now, you know, definitely Mm -hmm. find a specialty and really own it and go for it. Um, and then the second one I also have learned a lot about is take time for yourself. I think when you're running a business, you have to have other people tell you to stop and breathe and to take that time and remember what you're doing this for. And that was really hard after year two when I was like, this is everything I wanted. I just hired, I am working a ton. I have great, you know, revenue. I, but I was so unhappy. And I said, I am not allowing myself to breathe and allow for creative freedom and giving myself room to figure out what the real mission is in this business. And so taking a step back and breathing really helped open up the doors for more. Um, and then the third thing is don't be afraid to get help. Um, one of the best things I ever did was hire a business consultant. And I will tell you, she is a saint. Her name is Emily Cohen. I don't know if you've heard of her. She specializes in design agencies and studios. And she came in and really, like, she is some tough love. I tell you what. She was like, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. <laughs> and I I think you and I talked earlier that we have that in common where um, we don't have a background in agencies. I've been in-house my whole life. Like, I know how to run a giant business, and I know how to do an e-commerce site for millions of people. But when you run a small studio and you're working on different kinds of projects, you need an education. And yet, we do this every day for other people, and yet it's really hard to do it for ourselves. And so yep. it was. It took a lot of humility to say, I'm doing something wrong. I need to get some help and to talk to someone about it who knows what they're doing. And she came in and was like my knight in shining armor. She's fantastic. <laughs> her name is Emily Cohen. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, I'll have to check her out. She works with a ton of big businesses and small businesses and helps them grow and works on their systems and their staffing. And I just can't say enough great things about what she's done for my business and help me niche, help me make changes to my business. And really, she's like a shoulder to, you can't cry. Well, I've cried on her shoulder once, but <laughs> but she was like, all right, get it together. This is what we're doing. You know, she's a plan maker and I love that about her. So, um, so I would say, don't be afraid to get help. You know, there's nothing wrong with asking for someone else to come in and give you some great critique and learn from it. And it really paid off. It, it took some humility because I really wanted to go out there and be one of those people who made a million dollars in the first year. And, you know, it doesn't happen like that. And that's okay. So not for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. That's great advice. Okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. (laughs) Well, awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Sharon, and uh, sharing stories and and some strategies that I'm putting in my back pocket. And uh, yeah, best of luck in, in your future endeavors. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Creative Agency Podcast with your host, Chris Bolton. When he's not podcasting or being a dad, he's the Digital Strategy Director at Murmur Creative in Portland, Oregon. Be sure to visit us online at creativeagencypodcast.com.